Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Please open your Bibles to Job chapter 10. So we're continuing through this saga of our friend Job. And each time we gather together, I like to just give a quick review. So remember, uh, many of you know the kind of the backstory. You know, Job experienced great tragedy when his family was taken, his livelihood, his health. And all of those things came upon him very rapidly. And it caused him to begin to question and to begin to doubt God's goodness. Now, we sang a lot of songs tonight about God's faithfulness, about God's goodness. And... uh I think we need to always remember that because what we're going to talk about tonight is very interesting in the light of in light of what's going on in our culture and how our culture likes to influence us and sometimes even as Christians we can fall prey to that. Uh Job was no different. Uh several thousand years ago we see His friends come and they try to counsel him, but their counsel wasn't very effective. And as a matter of fact, their view or their perspective of God uh, was, was not really accurate. And it wasn't applicable to Job's situation. So he began to get this um, kind of this clouded view of God's goodness and God's faithfulness. And we've seen Job lash out at his friends. We've seen him lash out at God. And this is going to continue as we go through the dialogues that we're going to, we're going to uh, address each time we gather together. And for most of us, I think for most of us, I can say this, we can see Job reacting in a very familiar way. Because for most of us, we've probably been there. We've probably, we know we've experienced um, tri- trials. We've experienced suffering. We've experienced pain. Um, whether it's uh, a relational issue, a spiritual issue, whether it's uh, physical, um, we've all experienced something in some degree or another. Basically, Job is every man. Um, he kind of stands there and we can look at his situation and we can say, yes, I can, I can relate to that. No one is immune in this world. Uh, and we may actually question God too at some point during the midst of some trial that we may be experiencing, whatever that might be. So again, we look at these stories in the Bible, but we can't detach ourselves from them. We can't look at them as just a story about a person who lived many thousands of years ago without making application to our own lives 
now. And we can see uh, where we can relate in those ways. So tonight, as we always do, we give, we kind of give the historical observation of what's going on, what's happening, um, in this, in this, uh, chapter, as well as give, you know, proper biblical interpretation. And, and as always, we relate these things to our lives. We make application to our own lives, to our own circumstances and experiences. How can we apply what Job is going through, really, our question should always be when it comes to the Bible, how can we apply what we're studying in order to grow in our relationship with God, in order to grow closer to Jesus, in order to become more and more like him in the way that we respond and we react to things that go on in our lives because we know that Jesus was not immune from trial and suffering and pain either. So these, re- these things we can relate to are very important to us as believers um, as we walk through this world. Chapter 9, we saw Job ask two questions of God. And remember, he was presenting his defense as if he were in a court uh, of law. He was presenting his defense against these, these supposed false accusations that he thought God was leveling at him about about why he was undergoing, experiencing these trials, this tragedy that happened in his life. And one of the questions was, how can I be righteous before God? How, how is it possible that I could be righteous before God? And remember, he's taking this from, from the perspective of uh, an Old Testament person who had a very faint understanding of of God in his fullness and certainly had a very faint, if any, understanding of Jesus Christ and his provision for righteousness that he extends to all who would believe. So that was the first question. How can I be righteous before God? And then how can I prove my innocence before God? If he continues to level these accusations against me, how is it possible that I would be able to actually prove my innocence to him? And remember how he attempted to answer those questions. He presented this case. He laid all of these things out before God, and he was trying to actually convince God that God must have made a mistake. There's just no way that I should be experiencing all of these trials, all of these troubles, given my life and the fact that I'm a believer and I trust God, and yet look what I'm going through. It's the why me syndrome that Job succumbed to that we all do, don't we? When things go wrong in our lives and we don't quite understand it. So um, again, we see how we can make application and, and relate to those things. In chapter 10... Job continues to seek God for an explanation. And more precisely, he wants an explanation for the purpose behind all the suffering. Not why am I suffering, but what's the reason for my suffering? Is there any purpose behind all of this? See, he's telling God here that he feels that his treatment of him is unfair, it's unfounded, it's unjustified. And when you come at it from that perspective, it's very difficult to get then jump to that point at which he sees a reason, a meaning, a purpose 
behind it all. And I just noted one thing as we're going through these chapters. We're in chapter 10. Remember, he had two of his friends already come to him. Next time we get together, he'll have a third friend come to him and try to give counsel. And as he's going back and forth with his friends and going back and forth with God, notice how he never asks to be healed from his physical ailments. He mentions it, but his main focus is really more, I think it's more spiritual or emotional. His main focus of seeking God for a deliverance. And it reminded me of Jesus on the cross when he cried out to the Lord, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, and we understand that as Jesus feeling the weight of the sins of the world that he took upon himself on the cross and that separation from the Father. See, he, all of the pain that he went through, honestly, it's been said that, that most people would have, would have died before you even, he even got to the cross. For all of the, all of the physical pain that he went through, all of the blood loss and everything that he went through before he got there, his, Jesus's real pain was his separation from the Father as he took the sins of the entire world upon him, including you and I. It wasn't as much physical agony, but spiritual. And Job's, I think, feeling that same thing. There's something, there's a disconnect that he's feeling with God. And as a righteous man, as a man who knows God, and, and I know you, you and I have all experienced this when we feel kind of separated from God, when we're out of sync with God, when something's not making that connection with God, how you feel kind of, you're, you're off. And I know I've had those, those feelings over the years, and I think that's where Job is now too. Job's main argument as we work through this chapter is that since God created him, why doesn't it seem like God loves him? Why does it seem like he kind of left him alone in this trouble-filled world? Essentially, Job is kind of asking God, just give me what I deserve, God. Now, I don't want to ask God to give me what I deserve because I know what I deserve. I know I deserve eternal punishment because I've sinned and fallen short of his glory. I know that's what I deserve. But Job here is kind of asking him, just give me what, the, what I deserve, God. I'm a, I'm a righteous man. After all, you know, I, I, I'm not as bad as those other wicked people and those people who don't believe, you, believe in you, those people who don't honor you, and yet I've been burdened by this heavy trial. And it's out of relationship to God's goodness. And it's out of relationship to Job's righteousness. So he's confused here. And inevitably, we, we need to ask this question, and we're going to ask it continuously as we go through this book. Is suffering really necessary? Is suffering necessary to, to fully form us as believers, 
Is this part of what God does in the lives of believers for, for a purpose? And is it necessary? And we're going to talk about some, we're going to give some biblical perspective on suffering. Because I think, like Job, we kind of look at life in general and suffering and trials in particular, and we may start to think like Job does about these things. And we need to be back on the same page as what God says about these things. We need to see what the Bible says about these things. And we know as believers we have questions and we have doubts. And we, we especially when it has to do with suffering and pain, um, we want to know what its meaning is in our life. We want to seek God for the purpose in our lives. But unbelievers have questions too. And you know, you may have been approached by people, you know, about things going on in the world and why these things happen. And so unbelievers have these questions as well as us. But we kind of approach it from two different sides. See, the world doesn't include God in their day-to-day thoughts, so they can't even imagine that there's some divine plan being worked out. As Christians, we come at this from a whole different angle than the world does. We're told throughout the Bible that God is good. We're told in the Bible that God is love and that his interaction in our lives is always for good. But that's where the confusion is, right? Because if we're told all these things and we believe all these things, it doesn't, it doesn't connect to the suffering that we go through. So Job is going to start to delve a little deeper into some of these questions. But before he does that, he just, he just kind of has to lay out his mindset so we understand where he's at as he goes through and starts to ask these questions of God. So in verse 1 of chapter 10, he kind of tells us where he's at. He says, my soul loathes my life. I will give free course to my complaint. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. So in the depths of Job's soul, in the, in the midst of his suffering, right, he hates his life. And he can't reconcile what's going on with his understanding of God. And we get that, right? We get that. He feels like he has the right to complain. And don't we do the same thing? We feel like we have a right to defend ourselves, whether it's with God, who we, we really can't defend ourselves against God, but even with other people, when we feel like we've been wronged by other people or we've been... Uh, um, or things have been misinterpreted, or people take what we say the wrong way. We want to defend ourselves, right? And, and that's kind of human nature. That's kind of human nature. He feels like he has a right to complain to God about what's going on in his life. And so because of that, because of the depth of his misery and his pain, he, he hates his life at this point. Now we're going to get into the next several verses. We're going to get into this he's, as he starts questioning God. And in verses 2 through 7, it says, I will say to God, do not condemn me. Show me why you contend with me. Does it seem good to you that you should oppress, 
that you should despise the work of your hands and smile on the counsel of the wicked? Do you have eyes of flesh or do do you see as man sees? Are your days like the days of a mortal man? Are your years like the days of a mighty man? That you should seek for my iniquity and search out my sin? Although you know I am not wicked and there is no one who can deliver from your hand. So we see here Job saying, don't contend, don't, don't condemn me, God. Don't oppress me. Don't contend with me. Is it, does it give you pleasure when you do that? Now the Hebrew word for condemn here is rasha. And that word is, is defined as to be, to be wicked or to condemn as guilty. So he, he knows he's not uh, guilty, and yet he's feeling condemned as if he were. So this is the word that he uses here for condemn. Do, do not condemn me, God. Why do you contend with me? Job's asking God here, lay your cards on the table, God. Lay out your case against me, God. At least I'll be able to understand it better. He's really seeking for God to, uh, to help him understand it. God is treating him as if he were guilty when he knows he's innocent. And that's a very difficult place to be. That's a very difficult place to be. But again, remember, Job has this limited view of God. You know, the Bible says in the New Testament, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, right? So we are not condemned. We are convicted of our sin when the Holy Spirit points it out to us, when he shows us where we've gone off track, where that's conviction, but it's not condemnation. And yet Job feels condemnation. He doesn't have quite that fullness of relationship with God that, that we do, that we can understand that. So Job asks God, why are you opposing me, God? Why are you opposing me? And we may, again, we may tend to ask the same question. God, it feels like you're against me in the midst of what I'm going through here. Um, Charles Spurgeon gives some possible answers to why God sometimes contends with us. And they're valid reasons. He says, it may be that God is contending with you to show his power to uphold you. In other words, when you feel like you're, you're being oppressed by God, Cry out to him and he's going to lift you up. He's going to uphold you in the midst of it. It may be that God is contending with you to develop your grace. To show, to, to show his grace upon you so that you can develop more grace toward others. It may be that God is contending with you because you have some secret sin that is doing you great damage. Remember, God's Ways are always best, and his desire for us is always for good. So if he's contending with us, we need to search our own souls and see if there's something there that we need to deal with because God is trying to point something out to us that's harmful to us. It's doing us great damage. It may be that God is contending with you because he wants you to enter into the fellowship of his sufferings. You know, we, we experience all these 
awesome things in a relationship with God, but one of those things that we also experience is the fellowship of his sufferings. And well, probably none of us will ever suffer the way Jesus suffered, but we, we do suffer in this life so that we can relate. Remember, Jesus came to earth as a human being, as a man, in order that we can relate to him. Remember, he was tempted in all ways and yet without sin. He experienced the things that we experience. So we enter into the fellowship of his sufferings when God sometimes contends with us. And sometimes he may be contending with us just to humble us. Maybe we need to be knocked down a peg. So maybe, we, or maybe our pride is getting the best of us. And God has to do something about it. All those reasons um, that we, sometimes we feel God might be contending with us, at least we can park our doubt and misunderstanding there and know that God has a purpose in it, right? That he's not just doing things impulsively or thoughtlessly to us. And really, one of the biggest problems that we have with suffering, especially in our own lives, personally, is that we sometimes think God is doing things impulsively, that he is doing things without purpose, without reason, or thoughtlessly. And not that we have to find a way of minimizing our suffering, but we just need to find a way of figuring out what God is doing in the midst of our suffering. And, and that's something that may be a lifelong pursuit. See, we endure the suffering, and some people endure suffering for a time, but there's a greater purpose in it. I mean, an example could be, you know, someone who donates blood, right? And you may go through that time, and um, it's not very pleasant, I've done it a few times, and, um, and yet, you know, you're sacrificing something for the good of someone else. And you endure that because there's a greater good at the end of the road. See, so in the natural world, we kind of, we see that and we're okay with that. We're willing to sacrifice in that way. But in God's economy, we don't always know the outcome. We don't always see the end of the story. So it's more difficult for us to, um, to sacrifice without knowing what the purpose is. But that's where faith and trust come in, right? That's where faith comes in. Because our relationship with the Lord is, is based on faith. Hebrews 11 tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things, what? Not seen. So we may not see the end of the story. We may not know the outcome, but we have to have faith that God is working things out for good. Verse 3 says, Does it seem good to you that you should oppress, that you should despise the work of your hands and smile on the counsel of the wicked? So as Job is questioning God, he's, he's saying, Does this somehow make you feel good, God, that you're, that you're I'm going through this, this trial, this suffering like this? You created me, and now you're oppressing me. Job's saying it doesn't make sense. And honestly, uh, it, 
for some, it does please the Lord because he has a purpose in it. In Isaiah 53, it speaks about the suffering servant, Jesus Christ. It's a prophetic um, book that speaks about our Savior and what he would have to endure and what he would have to go through to save us from our sins. And what does it say in verse 10? Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It pleased the Lord. Now that, that sounds a little strange. It pleased the Lord to bruise Jesus. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. So God sees Jesus going to the cross and he's satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servants shall what? Justify many. See, there's the end of the story. There's the purpose in the suffering. There was a greater purpose in that. That that was worth it. For he shall bear their iniquities. And so we should remember too that it pleased the Lord to bruise Jesus, his son, his one and only son. So we can maybe have a little bit of comfort, take comfort when we go through trials and difficulties. Moving on in verses 4 through 7, he says, Do you have eyes of flesh or do you see as a man sees? Are your days like the days of a mortal man? In other words, he's saying, God, you're a, we know, I know you're above all men. I know you're, you're awesome and you're great and you're the creator and you're the Lord of lords. You're not like us. He says, are your years like the days of a mighty man that you should see, seek for my iniquity and search out my sin? Although you know I am not wicked, and he does, yet there, and there is no one who can deliver from your hand. So Job understands that God is, is higher than man. He understands that. And he, he's not like another human being. Job's friends made him feel worse. They're just other men. They're flawed and they, they didn't counsel him very well. And they didn't make him feel any better. But he expected more from God, right? He expected more from God. Yet, he's going through this, this suffering. Verses 8 through 12. Your hands have made me and fashioned me an intricate unity. Yet you would destroy me? Remember, I pray, that you have made me like clay. And will you turn me into dust again? Did you not pour me out like milk and curdle me like cheese? Clothe me with skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and sinews? You have granted me life and favor and your care has preserved my spirit. I love the language. I love the poetry here. Even in his grief, (laughs) even in his grief, Job beautifully depicts the intimacy of a designer God. I love that, just that phrase, an intricate unity. You have fashioned me an intricate unity. The complexity of creation. The complexity of creation. And Job beautifully depicts it. He, he 
finds his way through his suffering to be poetic in what he's saying here. And, and how God just lovingly creates each and every one of us, like a potter. You know, he compares him to these artisans, a potter or a cheesemaker or a weaver who you know, creates with his own hands and for his own special purposes. Yet, Job is questioning, would the potter crush his vessel for no reason or would the cheesemaker ruin the cheese or the weaver destroy the garment without cause? No, it doesn't make sense. He goes through all this work. You know, he, he, he intricately, you know, creates these beautiful things and yet would he just crush them? No, so this is, the, this is where Job, again, sees this disconnect. These are the things he struggles with. Verse 12 says, You have granted me life and favor, and your care has preserved my spirit. So he's realizing, he's understanding, he's remembering what God has done in his past. Remember, before he was afflicted with all of this, he was a very successful man. He had a beautiful family. And he was well respected in the in the community. So Job had a life be, before this tragedy struck, and he remembers that. He remembers how God had blessed him in the past and shown favor on him and preserved him, and he remembers his past faithful faithfulness in in past experiences, and and yet here now he feels like God's abandoning him. So. Again, he, he doesn't quite see, see that. But remember, remember, we, we, see, we saw the heavenly arrangement between God and Satan. Job doesn't know of that. Remember, God limited Satan's ability to afflict Job. Remember, he wouldn't allow him to take his life. So Job, there's actually grace there. There's mercy there that Job doesn't understand and see. Moving on in verses 13 through 17. And these things you have hidden in your heart. I know that, that this was with, was with you. If I sin, then you mark me and will not acquit me of my iniquity. If I am wicked, woe to me. If I am righteous, even if I am righteous, I cannot lift up my head. I am full of disgrace. See my misery. If my head is exalted, you hunt me like a fierce lion. And again, you show yourself awesome against me. You renew your witness against me and increase your indignation toward me. Changes and war are ever with me. So Job, again, is he's wondering why God, who is all-knowing, has all, the, has all the answers that Job is seeking, yet he refuses to reveal them to Job. Well, remember... God's timing is not our timing, right? And sometimes he reveals those things, you know, in short time, and sometimes not so much. Sometimes it's months, years before we understand what he's, he was doing. And that's the real root of the problem here, you know, that he feels like God is holding back on him, but... It's only because he's not, he doesn't understand the reason and the purpose for what he's going through. And that's, but that's not how things work. You know, God knows our tendencies. He knows if we had the information, we'd probably act differently 
If we had all of the information, we'd probably, we'd probably hold back in our relationship with him. But you see how Job is seeking him. You know, do you seek him more in your, in your troubles than you do when everything's going well? Of course you do. Of course you do. And God knows that. Luke 18, 8 speaks about, speaks about how God will just, he'll, he'll reveal and he'll, and he'll heal and he'll deliver. He says, I tell you that he will avenge them speedy, speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? And that is the question. Do we have faith? Are we prepared to meet Jesus if he came back tonight? Do we have that faith? And that's a question that only you can answer. Can answer. Now, if we knew, if we knew when he was coming back, we'd make sure we were really faithful right Right beforehand, right? That day before, we'd be praying all day. We'd be reading all day, right? But he doesn't reveal those things for a reason, right? He wants, he wants to know our hearts. He, know, he wants to know we're not doing it just, you know, for a good show. In verses 18 through 22, as we kind of finish up here, that why then have you brought me out of the room out of the womb oh that i had perished and no eye had seen me i would have been it, i would have been as though i had not been i would have been carried from the womb to the grave are not my days few cease leave me alone that i may take a little comfort before i go to the place from which i shall not return to the land of darkness and the shadow of death a land as dark as darkness itself, as the shadow of death without any order, or even the light is darkness. You ever tell God to leave you alone? <laughs> I, have, I, I don't think I've, I've gotten there yet, but I, I still figure God's hand upon me is better than his hand off of me. You know, he's holding everything together, right? Isn't he? Imagine if he just let go. Wouldn't that be the worst thing? If he, if he let go, when he does let go, this world will fall apart. If he lets go of you or I, you will fall apart. We sh- we'll never get to that point, hopefully, that we say, leave me alone. Leave, leave me alone. He, he, Job is looking just for a little peace until he goes to his death, which, again, and we've discussed this, we'll discuss it more as it comes up in the book, you know, his limited view on the afterlife, too, that he doesn't quite get. But his, his question here is kind of reasonable. Why did you bring me out of the womb? Why, do you, why did you bring me into existence with, with such a purposeless life? And, and all I want now is just a little peace, a little happiness before my life ends. He couldn't understand what God was doing, right? And I think it was important that, God, that he didn't understand. He didn't understand. Imagine if Job knew the backstory. Imagine if Job knew that Satan and God had this conversation about him in the heavens beforehand. He probably would have thought even worse of God, you know? Well, God, what, why are you picking on me? Of all the people in the world, I'm the one? And so he doesn't have all that information. 
And for us, you know, does knowing the end really affect how we approach the present? Would it, be, would it affect us for good? Would we be better because of it? Or would we act differently and, and draw, draw back, draw away from God maybe, if we knew everything that was happening? I think it's better. I honestly think it's better. And ultimately it's God's will that we trust him day to day, kind of minute by minute, in small increments, not to think too much as far as what the future has to bring with God's uh, dealings in our life. And one of the first verses I ever memorized when I was a Christian, Psalm 119, verse 105, always brings this picture to me of just, just lighting up that next step in front of you. It says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You know, God just gives you that next step for you to take. And he has... And there's timing in everything that he does. He does not reveal too much to us for his own purposes. And we have the fullness of the scriptures, right, to give us hope. Hope that there is an afterlife that's not full of darkness. Job said darkness like four or five times in those verses. And Job thought that that was it. That was the end. Um, He didn't have a full understanding of the afterlife. But, you know, thinking of darkness... It, re- it reminds me of Second Timothy 1.10 that speaks of the opposite of that. You remember Jesus said, I am the light of the world. But in Second Timothy 1.10, it says, now, But now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death, praise the Lord, and brought life and immortality, everlasting life, to light through the gospel. That's the good news, folks. It isn't darkness. It isn't darkness. And as dark as this world gets, remember, the next world will be everlasting light, the everlasting light of Jesus Christ in, in our lives. And, and that's something to definitely look forward to. Listen, this book is going to be repetitive in its themes a lot as we go through it. But I think it's, I, you know, it could have been... 20 chapters, but it's, it's 40 chapters. So there's a reason for that. And we're going to get a chance to see Job's friend come in, his, his other friend come in next time we, we gather, and we're going to see how that council goes. But, you know, it, it really has to do with our worldview. And I mentioned at the beginning here that sometimes we allow the culture to come in or situations or circumstances to come in and kind of cloud our worldview of God. And we we got to remember that as believers, we want to have a biblical worldview. We want to have the right view of who God is so that we'll understand a little bit better what he's doing in our life. Because we know that we're going to have tr- trials, Right? And we know that God has a purpose in it. You know, Jesus didn't try to sell us on this idea that if you become a Christian, you know, all your suffering would end. He was very clear about that. It says in John 16, 33, these things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. 
Not in the world you might have tribulation, but in the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. That word overcome is not just overcoming your circumstances. It's overcoming death. It's overcoming the enemy who's, who's trying to take you down, who's trying to distract you from God's will in your life. He's overcome all of that. And ultimately, he's overcome so that we can have everlasting life with him. Our peace comes from God. Our peace comes from Jesus Christ. He says, in me you'll have peace. We need to always remember that because pain and suffering can change our focus, right? It just changes our focus, just does that. But we need to get back and focus on Jesus in everything that we're going through. Amen? Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.